I'm really glad that you are here uh, this morning because we're going to be looking at what does life look like? How, how do we live life now? Right. And I, I don't know if you recognize it, but life is full of contracts and laws. That, that's how we order our life and how we live our lives. It's by contracts and laws. And most of the time we don't think about it. But you are signing contracts all the time. All the time. I mean, the way that you use your credit cards or your checking account, contracts. Your mortgage, contract. Your employment, that's a contract. Your utilities, contracts. Even when you're clicking on and you want to collect that free offer that they popped up in your email inbox and you click on that and you sign in your thing and you check, yes, I accept these terms and conditions, contract. They're all the time. Most of the time, we don't even bother reading the terms and conditions. Just click, yep, I read them. (laughs) Click. Sometimes it comes back to bite us because, wait a second, I didn't know. You should have read the terms and conditions. You said that you did. Well, nobody actually does. Who has time to read all of those? Right? But nevertheless, when it comes right down to it, our lives are structured, ordered, conditioned by contracts. And so uh, this morning, what we want to do is we want to look at Romans chapter 3 and we want to look at what kind of a contract, what kind of a law, what kind of rule or principle are we supposed to live our lives by. Right? Because uh, the Jews had it firm in their mind. They knew. They knew how they were supposed to live. They had the contract. They, they had the whole Old Testament, which was the history of the Israelite nation, where they came from, how they came to be, how God had taken care of them, how He had provided for them, how He had delivered them. And then the contract on Mount Sinai through Moses. This is how you will live, God said. You will be my people and I will be your God and this is how you will order your lives. These are the sacrifices. These are the festivals that you will celebrate. These are the days that you will keep holy. My name you will keep holy. These are all of the things that you will do. You will honor your father and mother. You will uh, be the light to the nations. All of these things. This is what you will do and I will be your God and here is how we will relate to one another. And so there was all this law. But as we've been reading in Romans chapter 3 already, while they were thinking we are justified by that law, that's how we relate to God and this is how we know that we are God's people. It's because we keep the law. And it's a contract. I'm connected with God because I keep God's contract and so He is my God and I am His person because I've kept that contract. And Paul, in this uh, chapter, has been writing to them and is now saying in, in verse uh, 21 of Romans chapter 3, but now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it. The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believed. For there is no distinction, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by His grace as a gift 
through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by His blood to be received by faith. That's what we were looking at the last two weeks. And that this was to show God's righteousness because in His divine forbearance He passed over former sins. It was to show His righteousness at the present time so that He might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Paul has been telling them, look, guys, you're not justified by the law. I know that there's this contract and that we relate to God and we are supposed to be His people and He is our God and this is the way that we are supposed to live and order our lives because of that. But you aren't justified by the law because all of us have sinned. And so you can't be justified. That The contract is nullified because you failed to keep it. That's the problem. So that when you come before God and say, hey, I deserve to come into your presence, God, He says, nope. What do you mean, nope? I'm your, I'm your person and you are my God. I deserve to come into your presence. Nope. Terms and conditions may apply. Declined. Not approved. You did not meet the terms and conditions. So then he says, then, this is verse 27, Romans chapter 3. Then what becomes of our boasting? It is excluded. By what kind of law? By a law of works? No, but by a law of faith. For we hold that one is justified by faith apart from works of the law. Or is God the God of Jews only? Is he not the God of Gentiles also? Yes, of Gentiles also. Since God is one who will justify the circumcised by faith and the uncircumcised through faith. Do we then overthrow the law by this faith? By no means. On the contrary, we uphold the law. He starts off with this in uh, verse 27. Um, then what happens to the boasting, right? Then what becomes of our boasting? He says this because in Romans chapter 2, which you may have forgotten that was several weeks ago, uh, but in Romans chapter 2, verse 17, it says, but if you call yourself a Jew and rely on the law and boast in God and know His will and approve what is excellent because you are instructed from the law, he's setting all these, just in case, just in case you happen to be a Jew who relies on the law and boasts in the law and knows the will of God, because you're instructed from the law. Just in case that's true. And they're going, oh, well, yeah, I'm a Jew. Hello. Of course that's true. I have the law. That's what makes me different from those people. We have God and God's law. We keep God's law. We are holy, holier than thou. So, yeah. That's what I've got. He says, and if you are so sure that you yourselves, he's just going to keep laying it on. And if you are so sure that you yourself are a guide to the blind and a light to those who are in darkness and an instructor of the foolish and a teacher of children, having in the law the embodiment of all knowledge and truth. You then who teach others, do you not teach yourself? 
While you preach against stealing, do you steal? Or you who commit, uh, you who say that one must not commit adultery, do you commit adultery? You who abhor idols, do you rob temples? You who boast in the law, dishonor God by breaking the law. For as it is written, the name of God is blasphemed among the Gentiles because of you. So now he's in chapter 3, hearkening back to this from chapter 2, where he's kind of blasted them already once about this. You've been boasting in God. You've been boasting in the law. You've been boasting in your works. You think that you are all that, and yet you are breaking the law. You aren't keeping the whole thing. And because you aren't keeping the whole thing and are uh, do and yet are saying these things as the hypocrite, you're blaspheming the name of God to all the nations. This is a problem. And what I'm telling you is that you can't be justified by the law. So where is boasting then? There's no boasting. Because we don't have a law of, of God that is the, the religious law code. We now have um, the law of faith, right? It is excluded. By what kind of law? By a law of works? No, but by the law of faith. No longer do we have this instruction, this uh, contract by which we must live that is one of law, that, that is one of works, the things that we must do. Rather, it is the law of faith. The law of faith. The contract of faith. The instruction of faith. That's how we must live now. And so there can't be any boasting. There's no room for boasting. This is one of the hardest things, I think, in the church. Not boasting. Not having some kind of pride because you have grown in your religiosity. I am more religious now than I used to be. That must make me better. More holy. More righteous. More acceptable to God. And we, we don't always intend to, but we, we compare ourselves to others, too. Ooh, not as religious as that person. Oh, but I'm more religious than that one. God must like me better. I must be more acceptable to God. As though there is some sort of hierarchy by which we become more pleasing to God through our works. Oh yeah, if you pushed us on, us, uh, on it, we would acknowledge, no, no, I'm saved by grace alone. I am saved by grace alone. It is by the blood of Jesus only. Nothing but the blood. Nothing but the blood. I'll sing you the song. But then we still get into this mind game. Once we have been saved, right? We know, oh, there's this clear distinction. I'm not saved by my works, but I am growing in holiness because of them. He's, no. No, there's no room for boasting. There's no room for pride. Because we now no longer live under a contract of works. We live under a contract of faith. 
which completely changes the game. It's a law of faith now. So there's no room for boasting. For we hold, he says in verse 28 of Romans chapter 3, for we hold that one is justified by faith apart from the works of the law. We are justified. We are aligned with God's righteousness. Right? We've been talking about this for for weeks now already. That, That God is righteous. He is right. Correct. And we are being aligned with that. So that we also are being right, righteous in His sight. But that doesn't come from work. We aren't, we aren't doing it more and more, right? It's not like our bodies that, that when we're healthy, we're eating better now, we're exercising, we went for a run that one time, and, <laughs> and now our bodies are getting healthier and healthier because we're doing these things. No, we're, we're, this, is not, this is not a law of works. This, this is a law of grace. It's by God's grace, by, by faith, apart from the works of the law, that we are now justified. We now live by faith rather than the law, which means that we're justified by the law of faith rather than the law of works. Which puts us all on the same playing field. All in the same place. Verse 29, or is God the God of Jews only? Right? If there was just the law of works still, or if somehow the law of works still applied, right? There was this law of grace, but now there's still the law of works. Is God the God of Jews only? Do you have to be a Jew in order to be saved? In order to be holy, righteous, acceptable to God? He says, no. Is he not the God of the Gentiles also? Yes, of the Gentiles also. Since God is one who will justify the circumcised by faith and the uncircumcised by faith. Now this this distinction of circumcision is clearly speaking about Jews and non-Jews, right? This was the sign of their Judaism. And it was a sign of the the covenant keeping, the law keeping. There there were rules about when this was supposed to happen and how it was supposed to happen. And that this was the sign that that they were God's people and that they were adhering to the law. It was all connected to this. This was like the first work that was done. He's going, but is God the God of Jews only? No. No. Absolutely not. Isn't He the God of the Gentiles too? The nations? One God? Now, one God for for everybody? Yeah. Absolutely. And if there's only one God, there's only one way to relate to Him. We can't relate to Him some by law of works and some by law of grace. There's only one way. Because there's only one God and He relates to everybody the same way. It's the law of faith. Now think about this in terms of us. We're all in the same place. 
God relates to all of us in exactly the same way. It doesn't matter if we have a Jewish heritage or a Gentile heritage. It doesn't matter if we're a man or a woman. It doesn't matter if we are employed or unemployed, if we have a, a, a high economic status or a low economic status. It doesn't matter if we have a lot of education or a little education. It doesn't matter if we live here or in Africa or in Australia or in Antarctica. None of those things matter. It doesn't matter if we're old or if we're young, if we're healthy or if we're not healthy. We all relate to God in the same way. The same way. It's by the law of grace. By the principle of grace. That's how we relate to God. Which brings up this question. If we relate to God through the law of faith and the law of faith only, then what about the Old Testament law? Completely worthless, right? It's done. It's abolished. It's over. We have no more need for that. Right? As a, as a Gentile Christian... We come in through grace. We have no need for law. No law of works. No Jewish law. And this, in fact, was a major criticism of the people at Paul's time. They would criticize Paul going, wait, this is what he's saying. Don't you understand? And they'd go around and they'd rile people up because Paul would come in and he would be talking about Jesus as the Messiah and how he was, had come to save God's people. And they would go, no, no, listen to what he's saying. He's saying get rid of the law. He's saying that being a Jew isn't important anymore. He's saying that all of that stuff is silly. Is that what he's saying? Verse 31. Do we then overthrow the law? By this faith? By no means. On the contrary, we uphold the law. Paul is affirming. No, no, no. We, we aren't abolishing the law. We're not getting rid of the law. We're not destroying the law. We're upholding it. We're upholding it in a way that nobody else can uphold it. Because as you read that law and you say, these are all of the things that I must do, and you start working through them and trying to do them all, you're failing. You're the one that's not upholding the law. But we have Jesus. And through faith, we uphold the law. In fact, even Jesus says in Matthew chapter 5, He said in Matthew 5 verse 17, Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly, I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot will pass from the law until all is accomplished. Therefore, whoever relaxes one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. 
For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. And you know what? I think that as Christians we read that and we don't believe it. No, no, God. I'm saved by grace. I don't have to keep the law. I don't have to be righteous. Isn't that what Paul's been saying this whole time? No, I don't have to be righteous. I have grace. And I think in that, in saying it that way, there's a fundamental misunderstanding about what's happening here. Because in our minds, we really do think that we've been saved by grace and the law has been abolished and we now are under some kind of new way of relating to God. But that's not the way that it works. The way that it works is that we have this law that explains how we're supposed to be relating to God and we can't keep it. Everybody relates to God in that same way. Here's the law. I can't keep it. I'm stuck. What do I do? Jesus. Right? Any Sunday school child could tell you the answer is Jesus. But how is Jesus the answer this time? He fulfilled the law. Every single dot and point, Jesus fulfilled it. Jesus fulfilled it. And so when I have faith in Him, His righteousness is imparted to me. Which means it's not that I'm not righteous and have grace and am saved. It's that because of God's grace to me, I have Jesus' righteousness and am saved. Do you understand that? It's not that the law has been done away with, it's that the law has been fulfilled. And we are the beneficiaries of the fulfillment of the law. So let's go back to our our contract example, right? You clicked on the thing, I accept the terms and conditions of this. That was silly, but that's okay. And they said, rejected, you have not met all of the demands. Declined. You must pay the penalty. And Jesus steps in and says, no, no, I did. I fulfilled all the demands. I fulfilled all the requirements. The rewards are theirs. I have fulfilled them for them. Now they have met all of the requirements because they believe that I have fulfilled them for them. And now we have. We have upheld the law. We have upheld the contract. Not because of our works. We can't boast about it. But because of our faith in Jesus, the law and contract has been upheld. And we are saved because of it. Let me give you a couple of examples. Because I think that it will help if we can do that. Okay, one of the commandments. I just, I'll pick one. Honor the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. What does that look like for us? Well, we're all here on the wrong day of the week, so we fail. Right? What does upholding the Sabbath mean to you? It means I don't work on Sundays. That's odd. The Sabbath is Saturday. Well, yeah, 
But Jesus rose again from the dead on Sunday, and so I just rest on Sundays now. Still kind of odd. Not that there isn't a principle of rest. There's lots of reasons for resting. That's very good. But I would rather go to Hebrews chapter 4. So then, Hebrews 4 verse 9, So then there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God, for whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from his works as God did from his. Let us therefore strive to enter that rest so that no one may fall by the same sort of disobedience. Those who tried to keep the law and didn't keep the law didn't enter the rest of God, but those who have faith in Jesus enter God's rest. We are having the law fulfilled because of our faith in Jesus. We have real rest in Him. We don't have to work. We don't have to prove ourselves through work. We don't have to justify ourselves through work. Our rest is found in Jesus. And so our soul is at rest. Our peace, our heart is at rest. Our being is at rest. And it fulfills the law through faith in Jesus. What about all the principles of the priesthood? Right? That you were supposed to come and you were supposed to have this priest who would intercede on your behalf to God. And so in uh, Hebrews chapter 4 verse 14 it says, Since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are and yet is without sin. Let us then draw near to the throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in the time of need. All of the principles about how we would relate to God through a priest are fulfilled in Jesus, now our great high priest. He fulfilled the law. And now through faith in Him, we have access to the Father who will help in time of need. It's not that the law was done away with, it's that Jesus has fulfilled it in a greater way. What about all of the sacrifices? All of the times that we mess up and sin and do something wrong, then there were, there were prescribed laws for all of that. You can read all through Leviticus and see all of the stuff that you were supposed to do. How many bulls and rams and lambs and doves without spot or blemish, were supposed to be sacrificed based on what you had done. And then the ones that were just supposed to be done on a regular basis because, just because. Because there were sins that you hadn't thought of or that you uh, hadn't acknowledged or whatever, and so we're just going to do these ones too. To remind ourselves every year, every month, that this is how we are saved. It's by the sacrifice of these animals that, that we, that they die in our place. Well, we don't do sacrifices anymore. Why don't we do that anymore? It's because, probably, it's probably just because that law was stupid, right? <laughs> and we don't need that anymore. Because we've got grace. But that's not what it says in Hebrews chapter 9. Hebrews chapter 9 verse 11. But when Christ appeared as a high priest of the good things that have come, 
Then, through the, hand, through the greater and more perfect tent, not made with hands, that is, not of this creation, he entered once and for all into the holy places, not, my, not by means of blood of goats and calves, but by means of his own blood, thus securing an eternal redemption. For if the blood of goats and bulls and the sprinkling of defiled persons with ashes of a heifer sanctify for the purification of the flesh, how much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal Spirit offered Himself without blemish to God, purify our conscience from dead works to serve the living God? We don't ignore it. It's not, it's not abolished and done away with. It is fulfilled in Jesus. And so we uphold the law. Jesus is our deliverer. Jesus is our king. Jesus is our shepherd. Jesus is our prophet. Jesus is the word of God to us. Jesus is our wisdom. 1 Corinthians verse, uh, chapter 1, verse 22, For Jews demand signs and Greeks seek wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and folly to Gentiles. But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. For consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose that which is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. And because of Him... You are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption, so that it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. There's no place in the law of faith for pride or boasting. There's no place in the law of faith for distinction between us and other people. That we might set ourselves apart from them and think that in some way we relate to God differently than they do. We have all been put on the same playing field. We all relate to God in the same way. We all fall short of the glory of God because we do not fulfill the law ourselves, but yet we uphold the law because Jesus Christ has fulfilled it. And so day after day, Week after week, month after month, year after year, from now until all of eternity, the way that we relate to God is through faith. We believe. We believe that God loves us. We believe that He sent His Son to die on the cross for our sins and rise again from the dead. And that the only way that any of us can get to Him, have access to Him, is through the work of Jesus. So I want to encourage us this week 
to be humble and to boast only in the Lord. Because it's only through Him that we have what we have. It's through His provision. It's through His grace. And we remember that this morning in two ways. We remember that as we celebrate communion together. And so the worship team is going to come up in just a minute. We're going to sing a song. And during that song, I would encourage you, if you believe that Jesus is your Lord and Savior, come to the table here or one in the back and take a cup and a piece of bread and bring it back to your seat. And then I'll get back up after the next song and we'll uh, take it together as a way of remembering that we are justified, brought into alignment with God's righteousness through the sacrifice of Jesus. And then after the service is over, we're going to go next door and we're going to eat together and we're going to celebrate that we have all been brought in together in the same way. And we're just going to eat and have a great time. So I'd encourage you to participate in the community of God's people in that way also. But now let's go to him in prayer. Oh Lord God, we are so grateful that we relate to you not by our work. Not because our deeds are righteous or good enough or acceptable enough. But we relate to you through the sacrifice of Jesus. And Lord, we believe that we have failed you. Each and every one of us has failed to uphold your law and to acknowledge you for who you are. And yet, we can uphold the law because of the work and sacrifice of Jesus who has given us his righteousness. That he who knew no sin has become sin that we might become the righteousness of God. And so, Lord, as we uh, celebrate that together, as we worship together, as we take communion together, we pray that you would remind not only our minds, but our hearts that we are yours. And we praise you together in the name of Jesus, our Lord and Savior. Amen.